0: This is Coda Radio, episode 540 for October 17th, 2023. Hey friend, welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris and joining us from his podcasting empire bunker, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Pots must flow. The pots must flow. <laughs> it does flow. That's right. You know, it does flow. Although, barely. It barely flows. Tell you what, I am, I am basically living on caffeine today. Nice. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of a zombie that has been energized by the gift that is caffeine. And as soon as I stop supplementing that into that body, I'll crash an hour or two after. So, just one of those nights, you know? I don't even know. I think, you know, the most ridiculous interpretation is that I was so hyped on a nice little win that we had that day uh, doing some projects in the RV that I was so, like, hyped about it that I couldn't sleep. Mm. But I wasn't, like, thinking about it all night or anything. I just can't explain it. Can't explain it, Mike. Tide comes in, tide comes out. Can't explain that. You know about Analog? You know about these guys? This I company
1: that- am very annoyed with these guys, yeah.
0: You can never get any of their products. Right. That's why
1: I I stayed. I woke up to try to get the damn uh, the translucent Game Boy colors they were making. Yeah. Yeah. And the site was super slow. And basically, within a minute, they had sold out. And it was pretty obvious that it was a scalper situation.
0: Oh, of course. Somebody buying a bunch.
1: Yeah. So it was, you know what? And I'm sure they'll say, blah, blah, blah. We're not a huge. But they always do the releases like this. They're it. It's like the worst kind of marketing to me that the artificial scarcity crap. Yeah, my, my I think I'm cynical and I think it's to drive pre-sales,
0: you know, because they push the pre-sale and then they kind of create this culture. If you don't get on the pre-sale, you're never going to get it.
1: Well, I didn't even know about the pre-sale. I'm not sure there was a pre-sale for this one.
0: Oh, for some of them, there are now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it was kind of like, OK, but like this isn't technology you don't have. Right. You could totally do another run. and yeah oh God you, you really grind it really does grind my gears like I know why I know. does it have to be these like random runs and drops that just make a product even if you can't ship it to me for two months, let me buy it now, just like the steam deck was back in the day, right? Oh, you smell that? you smell that bacon?
0: Mm-hmm. oh I a little a little conspiracy bacon, a little analog conspiracy Go bacon. ahead here it is. so not only is it a brilliant marketing move and you know, okay, manufacturing's hard it's to, for especially at a certain scale, et cetera et cetera. But maybe it's a brilliant ninja legal strategy to prevent Nintendo from coming down and destroying them.
1: Because, because
0: why? By the time the lawsuit is filed, they're already sold out. Yeah, there's no devices. There's hardly any market share. Like, the, you know, it's like the, Nintendo's going to go after a company that's doing incredible and announced you know, Q Q three record shipments, right? And great holiday sales. That's when Nintendo swoops in like a vulture and goes after them for IP violation, but. If they can never get off the start line and there's only a couple hundred thousand out there and you can't even order them, what's the big deal? The reason why I'm talking about them is because they just announced they're making a 4K version of the Nintendo 64, which they claim will have 100% compatibility with the N64 cartridges. Which also sounds cool, right? Like, Yeah, because that's kind of a hard, it's been a harder machine to emulate properly. Of course, no release date. <laughs> No release date.
1: I just wanted the goddamn transparent purple uh, pocket Game Boy emulation, sh- or not? I know am, it looks great. Right? So That's cool. all I wanted because I had the transparent purple Game Boy color back in the day. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think they're ducking legal stuff. I, yeah, it's just sleazy marketing. It really is, right? Like, it's, or it's either that or incompetence. So no, because you know what? They've been at this for so long. All right. I, I could see like the original run screwing it up. Fair. But they've had a number of limited editions already, and they've done a Sega Genesis one, I think, right? And yeah. they've done they've done a bunch of other ones that uh, SNES one.
0: Hey man, if I can learn from running robes, they can learn from
1: building hardware, right? You you figure it out each time, each run. Yeah, but which kind of makes sense, right? Because like, okay, if they, you know, why? Because suckers like me, the next time they do a run, are going to be like, okay, well, you know, to hell with it. I'm let logic go to the wind because I'm buying it. Because if I hesitate for two seconds. It'll sell out. I'm not mad. You're mad.
0: Yeah. No. I. I I'm just saying. Yeah. It is. It is uh, diabolical. All right. Well, we got some feedback. Uh, you know, we've been talking about the adoption of .NET versus Java. And Donald reports in from a little dark matter dev time. And now he's been doing some contract time, and he's also a Jupiter Party member. And he notes that on .NET versus Java, he saw a lot of either .NET or transitioning to .NET when he was in government and then of course c-sharp um just sort of grew and grew and grew while he was in working in government but now as a consultant out in the wild he says quote i see significantly more php node and java and other technologies it just seems to be more out in the private industry that those technologies become more popular and he has another one he says i think i have everyone beat get ready for this one I currently have 191 domains through internet.bs and 12 through Namecheap. Many are just projects I started. Yeah. Yeah. I did recently purge my collection and I let about 40 expire, bringing the total down to its current count. So before the.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Over. Yeah. So much, dude. What are you doing?
0: Uh, He says, maybe this is my first step on the road to recovery. Thank you guys for the amazing, entertaining content. I look forward to it weekly. And I regularly revisit old episodes while I wait for the latest to air. As long as you're willing to weather the economy, I will keep my membership. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Donald, for the uh, report from the ground. And speaking of old episodes, you remember Gigatexel, who used to post to Twitter uh, some clips of the show that we would sometimes enjoy for reflection. Uh, He has been once again taking to his blog and he's updated it again with a new montage of Coder Clips. Do you feel like indulging, or do you want to save them for later? Do you want to hear a couple of them? Okay. All right, well, this is a little embarrassing. Um, Let's start with uh, an episode from May 8th, 2018, episode 302. And this is me and you doing what we do best, and that is smelling danger. (laughs) And the conversation, the context of the conversation is, you and, I, you and I know something's off. There's too much easy money going into advertising. The market's not going to last forever. We didn't know for how long it would go, but uh, it it was clear that this was just going to eventually come to a hard stop. We are truly the Kelpians of podcasters. <laughs> yes. Our little things were sticking out on our neck.
1: Our ganglia <laughs> are out and about. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, I tend to stay very well versed in it, and it is a niche that I think is... It's not underserved, that's for sure. But I don't know if it's properly served. Um, We'll see. Sort of a long term bet. But uh, yeah, I am sort of prepared for anything to happen. And I am strangely okay with it. I think one of the things I've learned in life, what often seems like it's going to be the worst thing ever develops long term into something great that I never could have foreseen. And so even if it means the end of my business or if it means that podcasting is owned by big podcasting and you got to be all in on data collection and it means violating my morals, I actually still think another window will open up. You know, when podcasting closes a door, I think it opens a window, Mike. So the thing that I love about that is I was really kind of getting at value for value and boosts and memberships before they had become commonplace. and. Just this week, I was feeling really, really crappy because the Twit network has really been taking a hit. They introduced dynamic ads and that got them onto some advertising blacklists, including the Eero routers. And those Eero routers were advertisers on Twit. So they have a pretty high penetration in the Twit audience. And the router at the network level was blocking the downloads of Twit because the Twit downloads are now coming from a dynamic ad insertion CDN. Wow. And Twitter has gone from they've gone from four ads to like one ad and then a dynamic ad if they can. And they're con- you know they're considering just kind of throwing in the towel. Leo's considering retiring because it's just a, they're devastated over there. Um and then something else that's happened in the last couple of weeks is the two biggest dynamic ad insertion platforms and it's going to happen to the other ones too announced that they're working with brand safety i AI companies that will analyze every episode for brand safety and then give you a brand safety rating. And then depending on your rating, you'll be disqualified or qualified for different advertisers. And that rating is dynamic. And so you can be dynamically disqualified if you say
1: something that is considered, you know, not brand safe. Hang on. Hang on. What's that? What's that, G? I don't know. know. Can you sue them? You did invent this. Uh my good friend Xi Jinping would like to f- do do you know a good lawyer over there in the <laughs> yeah. Pacific Northwest Chris? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he says basically that's he you know he had a I don't know if you've heard of this he has a patent it's called the social credit score. Right? It is, it is a social credit score. He's he's pretty upset here. Uh, also, uh, I did give him a Winnie the Pooh teddy bear, and uh, I will be assassinated within the next 72 hours. So uh,
0: It's a whole cover-your-butt motivation. You know, the it's dynamic ad insertion platform doesn't want to get anybody in trouble. The advertisers don't want to be associated with anything controversial, and it's really easy on a dynamic system to just pull. And so watching this kind of all come together and then listening back to that clip and, and realizing, you know, it is probably going to be okay. It will work out. Like yeah. it, the the thing I worried about has arrived, but we're still going. We're still kicking. So I and mean, then okay, how about we indulge in one more? Because this one is a current topic that we talk about all the time, and that is how the VCD gens out there have created these companies that either have to burn money and hire like crazy and grow, 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 and dump on the market, or they basically have to IPO and sell or sell. You know, it's like sell or IPO, dump on the market and IPO sell. Like the VC funded model has created all of these hollowed-out tech companies that were just slowly watching wash away over the last couple of years as they claw on every little bit of land they can keep their hands on. And Mike was on it back in episode 315, which was July 2nd, 2018.
1: You know, in that case, it seems to me the uh, a reasonable objection is consolidation in the technology sector is bad because we're already so uh, consolidated you know, we do need a good crop of B or C companies. But the reality of the way California and Silicon Valley in particular startups work is GitHub is ragged to too much goddamn money to be to actually live on its own. Right. There's a weird situation where if you run a P and L on like GitHub, the Mad Botter, and ThoughtBot, the order of profitability goes Thoughtbot, the Mad Botter, and GitHub last. <laughs> <laughs> they're not making any money, yeah. right? They're not like like I have this old school business uh, mentality. I guess I got from my grandfather that like you're not really in business until you turn a freaking profit, mm. or at least can pay yourself. And like who uh, you know like like all the all the stuff I saw on, on Reddit, which granted is a bias uh, place about GitHub was. No one, no one had the stones to come up and say, and then I did, but I got downvoted into oblivion. That this is not a functional company by any traditional metric. If, if, if you believe the VC no profitability to IPO path, then yes, yeah, sure, it's traditional. Thank you Netscape for fucking up the whole world of how business actually works. You know, if people just would have
0: listened to us back in 2018, Mike, we would have saved everybody a lot of trouble. <laughs> I, I like youthful
1: Mike's pot shot at Netscape at the very end. Yeah. It's like, from the cheap sheets, here we go.
0: Well, they kind of were the original sin, weren't they?
1: Mm. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we could never have known then. But the irony of the Netscape business model being routinely acquired by Microsoft is really just something. Yeah, like, There's another good one, but just a quick digression here. I know we don't have it in the doc, but the FTX trial, because this is the VC stuff, and I don't, I don't think we have much on this. Oh man, this is like you're right. It's the peak worst version of it. Well, it it's the version that if HBO made another like Silicon Valley 2.0, like like another version of the show as a comedy, you and I had this not happened, wouldn't have believed. We would have said that's too far, right? Yeah. The only thing tech about this dude is. There's a couple things, right? One, he's pretty obviously uh, got a serious gambling issue, is what it seems like, and he tricked VCs into giving him money. And there's emails. I mean, the I don't know how closely folks follow the testimony of his girlfriend, uh, Caroline Ellison, and his friend uh, yesterday. uh, I forgot the friend's name. Was Uh, heartbreak something right? right? like it was all just just a con. Even his like. I look like a, you know, like a like a scrub muffin hair and like dirty hoodies. They
0: they have screenshots of chats where he says, yeah, my hair is a big part of our brand and why I think we get the evaluations we do.
1: Right. Like the being an ass and playing League of Legends with VCs on. He's yeah, it's the image they wanted to see. And again, it had nothing to do with tech. In fact, had he this is the sick part. He could have just stopped gambling. With Alameda Research, closed it, taken an L, right, and kept his exchange open and still been a billionaire. It was the drive, the internal compulsive behavior to gamble that ultimately destroyed this dude. And I, you know what, I'm a very, like, I don't think people should go to jail for nonviolent stuff. I'm even, like, regretting some of my harsher stuff on Elizabeth Holmes because I just, you know, I have... Like some old-fashioned ideas about like mom's going to jail but this guy maybe rehab like he's he couldn't stop
0: you know the way they described the way they the caroline and and gary described him is he has his own moral code and lying and cheating and stealing isn't an issue in that and i think that's probably ingrained in him he he also thought he had a five
1: percent chance of becoming president yeah, that's the thing you tell your girlfriend after a couple of drinks. I don't believe that. at all. Or it's a thing that you just start thinking after you buy off a lot of politicians. Well, I, OK, so, so we're going to do this, right? How about the conversation he had with a journalist because genius here saying, oh, yeah, I give the Republicans money, too, but I don't do it because I have to say his word, not my word, the right shibboleths of wokeness, you know, because you have to be woke to brand yourself. It's like, yeah, when we when we donate to Republicans, we do it secretly you know,
0: s- secretly, right, yeah.
1: <laughs> but also, if you were like a quote unquote i won't say but let's say a progressive person and you thought this guy was good, he's basically calling he, actually not basically he's calling you a sucker, right it, yeah it, it, he's it, playing you, but it he's is playing. i, I hate I hate that the true tech entrepreneurs are getting smeared with this guy's slime. He is in no way a tech founder, he's no. a gambler if it was if it was nineteen eighty six it would have been junk bonds, not cryptocurrencies. And it's the exact same bullshit, fraudulent business model. You know, I, I got to question the wisdom of some of our venture capital folks. When the dude has to run his company in Hong Kong and the Bahamas, that's a problem. Unless he's from there, right? If you're from there, sure, it makes sense. Yeah, sure. I think it's still a problem that the VCs like Sequoia,
0: I, I have screenshots of it. You wouldn't believe the puff pieces they wrote about this guy, uh, calling him, you know, uh, a truly the most ethical man in tech. Uh, oh yeah, c- just just the most absolute kind of praise for almost a godlike
1: figure. I, that's why I screenshotted it because it was so unbelievable. Oh, and apropos of nothing, he gave ton of tons of money to Vox and to other yeah. uh, tech. Journal- Vox, of course, controls The Verge and a bunch of other sites, um, and to a number of other outlets in his, you know, philanthropy um meanwhile he was robbing uh, you know any schmuck who decided yeah. to put money with his exchange they act. would
0: literally just take customer funds and sell it for for their own liquidity and uh, just show the customer a fake balance
1: okay i love michael lewis the book michael lewis wrote on this dude is terrible the interviews michael lewis is giving on this guy are embarrassing it honestly feels like when i go back home to jersey and i talk to like one of my aunties who's like 80 about what exactly it is you and I do. Right. <laughs> like, and yeah. it's just like he, I don't know, he got taken. He doesn't know. Michael Lewis should have, he got taken by the whole math wunderkind tech genius boy. When really this guy is no different than, sorry, homies from New York, but every douchebag who's half drunk at the bar in Manhattan after the third martini grabbing the waitress's ass because he just made a good, you know, option swap. That's it. The same thing, just because it was cryptocurrencies instead of bonds or stocks or packaged up mortgages or any other sort of security, is uh, doesn't make it tech.
0: Alderon.games slash Coder. Alderon Games is looking to hire some talented remote workers. And Matt, the lead over there at Alderon Games, he was a Coder Radio listener for a while. Somehow, through listening to the show, he decided, well, I'll go do my own business. I have to be honest, I'm impressed that was his takeaway. But the results, they speak for themselves, and now, years later, Alderon Games is looking to hire, and they're looking to hire, hopefully, from the Coda Radio audience. They're an independent, self-publishing game studio, which is totally in the spirit of how Jupiter Broadcasting does things. There's no studio above them, and no publisher that they have to answer to, so that means they don't have to nickel and dime the players, they get to focus on the content. You know I like the sound of that. So they're looking for back-end engineers for PHP. They're looking for Node.js developers, a couple of different Unreal positions, some testing positions, and maybe even some positions they haven't thought of yet because they're growing like crazy. So if you're looking for some great remote work with somebody who also listens to Coder Radio, that could be kind of fun. Go brush up your GitHub profile and then visit Coder. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. I think it's a great opportunity for somebody who's been listening to the show to work with somebody who is also a listener of the show. I want to do that. <laughs> go see if there's something there for you or reach out. Maybe they don't have uh, it on their website, but maybe you'd be a great fit for their team. They're also publishing on Linux. So go try it out. Alderon.games slash coder. Well, you also called this one. Google was the main large tech company we hadn't heard from on this topic. And last Thursday... They announced that they will defend users of their generative artificial intelligence systems in Google Cloud and Workspace platforms if they get accused of intellectual property violations. So they're joining Microsoft, Adobe, and others who have made similar pledges. Um, the company said that the indemnity does not apply if users intentionally create or use generated output to infringe on the rights of others. But here it is, Mike. We Now we have basically all the big quote-unquote AI players in the tech space have come out and said that they'll indemnify their users
1: as long as you're using their tooling. So, so this, is a, this is a retaliation, right, and a show of force for the Sarah Silvermans of the world who filed lawsuits, I think, a little too quickly. Good. I like this. I, you know, I've said it a hundred times. I don't think we need to dwell on it. But we live in a global economy. And if you believe Elon Musk, I guess, possibly a galactic economy, We can't be the people who hamstring ourselves, right? The U.S. and Europe. It's, you know, China's not going to stop. They're not going to worry about some pissed off comedian suing because her book was regurgitated. Uh, Neither should we.
0: Okay, All right. So that's I I had I was thinking more along the lines of this is going to really just add pressure to the centralization of an already really inclined to be centralized market because. You know, what idiot in any business is going to go use some AI from the mad botter when they can go get it from Google and have it in their Google workspace and they know they have legal indemnity, right? To me, it seems like it creates essentially a moat via copyright. So normally we talk about regulatory moats, but now this is essentially a a copyright protection moat or an intellectual property indemnification moat.
1: So can I give you the actual practical answer? Is this something I'm already doing? The the idiot you're referring to, the end customer, is not a direct Google or OpenAI customer. They're a Mad Botter customer or an instart right. your company here who is using Google and OpenAI but has already set up parameters specific for yeah. their industry.
0: No, I get it. Yeah. I get it. See, but the problem is, is that still leads to the centralization where you've got things like Obama oh, yeah, from Facebook that yeah. I'm running on a on a old Dell here in the studio and it's a pretty competent chat gpt replacement and it has a lot of potential and you know groups like nextcloud are looking at integrating that stuff directly into nextcloud so that way they don't even have to go outside the network to get that those kinds of features like auto-summarizing a doc or taking notes in a meeting or translating one thing to another thing like they're trying to do that all on device Uh, but the thing is is you're not going to get that legal protection that that way and i think I, i i i acknowledge that there is sort of the 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 broader market is people just using the apis and sort of packaging that up and and having an industry focus and reselling that but i also would love to see a healthy market of people that could package up these large language models that are built specific for some business and it all runs on premises it doesn't have to go to some company that's logging everything it doesn't have to go over the internet and that would be a perfect on premises business product that i think has just been killed in the in the cradle with this kind of well
1: essentially uh, emote, Kind of the point too to kill it. Right. I mean, of course, Google, I think it's bad for open source long term. Uh, oh, yeah. This is all bad for this is. Well, no, it's bad. It's bad. I mean, I, I guess we should hit the related story. And also I, I'll link it in the show notes. I wrote a blog post on this, the uh, AI profitability problem. And this is a challenge I actually have. Right. So if a customer comes and wants to buy a license for Alice and they want to use the chat GPT features, that is of actually a pretty tough sale for me to make right now, because I don't know how much that customer is going to cost me.
0: Mm, okay,
1: it's you know, and Alice itself, right? Unless it's being hosted on prem, but that's that used to be my bread and butter, and now that's less and less common. Most people are just asking me to like actually just you know I throw it up on a on an instance of our own and manage it for them. Uh, so you have bandwidth costs, you have other things, but now this open AI transaction costs is. um is interesting and can get expensive and hard to price back to your customer to price back and they can change the price whenever they want. There was that story that I think has been debunked that every GitHub code pilot user is costing them. What is it? It's like they're paying 10 a month, but costing 20 or something.
0: Yeah. And that Freeman on Twitter said, Nope, not true, but he wouldn't say what the number is.
1: Yeah. I, I think the reality, at least this is kind of what I've been seeing is you have a couple? It's like the opposite of the mobile app economy, where actually your whales are your worst customers. Yeah, <laughs> because they cost you too much money. Well, you you had this with Fireside, right? Where yep. yeah, because yep. you, you're a whale yeah. there. Yeah.
0: Well, I suppose it's true of the it's true of the CDN industry. It's true of the compute industry. Yeah, it's
1: storage too. So I've actually had to like I'm literally we were working on this because I had to delay some marketing stuff. I don't think I can offer flat prices for the Chat GPT stuff anymore it might just have to be like a line item on the invoice every month, like here, you know, but
0: just imagine a world a year from now, because if I'm running some, you know, podunk Docker container, that's essentially replacing chat GPT. Imagine if somebody takes that even further in a year from now, and you could, you could take that container, you know, white label rebranded and use it. And you would have a fixed cost. It would just be the hardware cost. And you could just quantify that and bill it back. And, It it seems like that's a better model
1: for you long term, assuming, obviously, that the tool is competent. Well, the the, the problem with that, though, is all the incentives of the big players in the market are to prevent that from happening. Yeah. Right. This is like, you know, in a lot of ways, building tools upon ChatGPT or Google's thing or I guess Microsoft's thing is also kind of ChatGPT, right? It's like being a you know one of those value-added resellers for like google google work
0: yeah yeah or microsoft exchange or microsoft or just...
1: exchange you're always going to have that you know portion of the deal that goes right to microsoft but i don't know i mean so we're sharecroppers now right i or uh, honestly we've been sharecroppers a long time look at the answer yeah,
0: yes i was just going to say that yeah you know and i in some ways they're going to they're going to remain competitive for a while and they'll be They'll be making these things better and better. So there'll be some advantages using them for sure. But I wonder, Mike, if we're going to just, if we're going to see Sherlocking taken to the next level with these AI tools. Because if they're building this stuff into every workspace product and Microsoft's building into every office product and Adobe's building into every Adobe product, et cetera, et cetera, they're going to constantly be combing the market for the best ideas that just like Apple does when they Sherlock something, it's going to be Sherlocking at a whole new scale. People will develop some very functional tool and it's going to get Sherlocked.
1: Oh, well, certainly, right? I mean, how- it's going to be Sherlocking all over the
0: place, Mike. Sherlock over here. Like every. It's going to be so common. People are going to stop talking about it. It's like, oh, somebody came up with a great idea. Six months later, it's built into Bard.
1: You think it's six months? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe not. I think it's quicker. I think it's going to be... It, it's got to be tough, uh, you know, one of, I think, not nothing against them, but I think one of the more aggressive folks in the space is going to be Microsoft. If you're building a value-added product for, like, let's say, Office 365 ecosystem, uh, they're, they have a really good incentive, right, with their co, co-pilot program to basically, you know, embrace, extend. What's the last one? Um. Profit? You don't remember? <laughs> no, I extinguish, extinguish. <laughs> I mean, if, yeah. If oh, we, how
0: could I forget?
1: We've already mentioned Netscape. I mean, seriously, we're 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 the the dream of 1999 is alive.
0: Uh, to your earlier point, though,
1: um, there
0: is another lawsuit that Google says would be a sledgehammer to the industry. There's uh, eight unnamed individuals are suing Google in San Francisco, starting in July, for supposedly. Google misusing content posted to social media and information shared on other Google platforms to train its system. Now, Google's trying to get the whole thing just completely dismissed. Uh, The lawsuit claims that the company was scraping data to train Bard and others and that it, quote, violated millions of people's privacy and property rights. Google claims it was only using public data and it told the court on Monday of this week the use of that data is necessary to train its chatbot Bard. It said, quote, If this lawsuit were to be successful, it would take a sledgehammer, not just to Google services, but to the very idea of generative AI. Um, And they're claiming that it's all public. Uh, It sounds like it was not just stuff on Google. Um, Some of the content identified in the lawsuit ranges from photos on dating websites, Spotify playing lists that people didn't realize were public, and their TikTok videos. And I guess one of them is a, a Texan author an investigative journalist, and she claims that Google copied her book to help train Bard respond to text prompts, but Google said that the book was protected by fair use doctrine copyright Is Google crazy? Have they never seen Walker, Texas Ranger? Google's like, you know, we can go out there and learn stuff, guys. And they're like, yeah, but you came and learned our stuff. And they're, So there's uh, eight people that are in this that are unnamed. And Google wants the whole thing thrown out because they say if they're successful, it's going to just essentially handicap the ability to train AI. So this could this this California case could end up actually having some pretty big ramifications
1: if Google's right. You should go first. What do you, what do you think of this? Because I I think we all know where I'm going.
0: Um, hmm. I think Google's going to win it.
1: Mm-hmm. I, that I don't know if
0: t- uh, dating photos. It's like what's public and not. I think the real issue is is that. People don't realize what they're putting online when they post on social
1: media. Bingo, bingo was his name. Oh, so yeah. I have. Uh, I mean, I think we've all had this experience, right? A friend who goes through a breakup blocks their ex on Instagram or whatever, and then yeah. is pissed off when they realize their ex just hits Control Shift N, and you know <laughs> their their profile is public. It's it it. What's public is public, right? This is basically hitting Control Shift N on an automated, massive scale. It's the same thing. Sorry, Charlie, if you post something in public, you're out of luck. It's the same thing as if, you know, I was sitting at a bar talking to one of my buddies about, you know, the new pricing structure at the Mad Botter. And one of my competitors was at the next table, overheard me. and I was like, okay, so we'll just like charge $20 less, right? Whatever. It's you're in public. It's public. I don't care what you do.
0: Maybe this is the slow, painful process that normies have to go through to understand their data is actually
1: valuable. They're never going to learn. Uh, I mean, maybe Curiously, they're going to learn the hard way. If, if you can hit it with a URL, either just straight up in Safari or in porn mode in Google Chrome or whatever, then it's public. I agree. And all arguments about privacy or, or intellectual property. Now, it doesn't mean you don't own the copyright. Right? That, that, that you have a copyright claim. But the idea that this is in some way stealing is going to be a little tough.
0: Yeah. That'd be a tough thing to prove. Yeah. Especially with a lot of public domain precedent. Maybe Google just gets it tossed out. We'll see how much power they have in California. Well, it's not
1: just that. If if you if you extend their claim, the the people suing to its logical conclusion, right? Then every time, you know, we get a story off the verge or something and then we make iterative content on it by like making it funny or mocking them for their obvious biases. Ah, uh, they could sue us for using their content. True. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, 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 it's a slippery. slope, It doesn't as they fly. Say. Right. This is this. We got to get that over. Dog this. Don't hunt. If you put it on the internet, suck it up, Sally. Yeah, that used to just be the understood thing about the internet. But I guess let me tell you about nuns for a minute. Okay, in Catholic <laughs> school, they would just smack you with an. With, the ruler actually said on the side of it, "HTTP, dumbass." <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> One last AI story. This one's a doozy. I don't really know what to make of it. But Gary Gensler, who runs the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Committee, uh, the head of the SEC, said that AI will likely cause a financial crash within a decade. Uh, And he says that maybe by the late 2020s or early 2030s, we'll probably see this crash. He calls for regulation to address how AI models are used by Wall Street banks. He describes the issue as a cross-regulatory challenge. And there are th- enthusiastic adopters on Wall Street. Morgan Stanley has launched an AI assistant based on OpenAI's GPT-4, Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank, and Bank of America, though, have banned employees from using chat GPT at work. But the concern is, I think, although he doesn't come out and say it directly, accelerated trading. Of course. And I think they have a real problem because when you combine – like you remember the Silicon Valley Bank, the reason why that became a run – was because all the VCs had Slack channels with each other, and the and when people started getting concerned about the solvency of the bank, it spread like wildfire over their Slack, and then pretty soon it broke out on Twitter, and then there was a bank run, and it happened before Gary even got out of bed. Okay, but you don't need AI for this, right? No, but you could make it. You could make it even faster, I suppose. Yeah, just... there's already systems, though. Well you know? I
1: could I could tell you right. This is why. Uh, fiber-optic-wired office space in North Jersey or even central parts of Central Jersey is so expensive. Fun fact, Wall Street is actually in New Jersey. The computers for all the trades are basically in Jersey. Um, and these, uh, they call them high-frequency traders. They're programs that the quants write. The milliseconds or nanoseconds, whatever, whatever, I don't want to get in that fight. It's like Emacs Vim. I don't care. Use what you want. It's quick. It's quick. But the difference between physical... Proximity to the end market, right? The end market servers and your bandwidth combined can be millions of dollars. So this is already happening. This thing I don't like about this piece is this acting like this is a brand new thing. No, this is already taking a dude <laughs> who's in special forces. He's got his, uh, I don't know who the f- knows what they carry now, but you know, we're just giving him a different gun or an additional gun. He, he's good. He, they're going to do it. Yeah. Anyway. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I, can I make people sad? I think I've been doing a lot of that today. I'm in a mood. Okay, that's right. Stay a while and listen. Yeah, yeah, children. Every time you trade on Robinhood, you're being front-run by, uh, what is it, Scion Capital? Citadel? Citadel? Citadel Capital. And what they do, it's called arbitrage. They see your order, and, and this is like how Robinhood makes money. This is why you don't pay for trades. And they say, okay, so Chris wants to buy, I don't know, a thousand shares of hair tonic ink because I feel like you're, you're a great customer yeah they're gonna have a boom and they're he wants to up, buy maybe. them at five dollars a share they're like hmm let me look on my portfolio Ooh, we bought them at three and there's this other dude who can get me the other 50 at four and Chris wants them at five so what we're gonna do is we'll say yes to Chris's order but we're real quick quick as we can little bunnies gonna go buy the cheaper shares at that again, at that profit of a dollar per share, and then in the one case of uh, two dollars per share, right, and then sell them back to Chris and Robinhood because this is the deal we made is going to lock in that deal such that we get to front run before anybody else does. Chris thinks he got a good deal. Chris actually got screwed, but it was so easy from my phone. I know business. I lost a lot of money. I I'm the only person I know who has lost money in the drug trade in Canada. I bought a bunch of stock in a weed company and I, I honestly, it's so good. I haven't been to Canada because I want to punch the CEO of this company (laughs) in the face. You failed to sell drugs. They're never going to let you in now. Yeah. Well, seriously though. Oh, I know Canada. You can't, God forbid you say something negative about somebody. It'll throw your ass in jail. But how do you fail to sell drugs? (laughs) Yeah, that's a hit. Yeah.
0: You know, that that was a really great, succinct description of how Robin Hood works. It's a kind of a shady business. And it's really like the big banks just making the money off the backs of the plebs.
1: Yeah. Galloway has a lot on this. Professor uh, Scott Galloway, who you probably all know, Um, he he is right on this one because they're. They're playing the little guy for suckers.
0: (laughs) Tailscale.com slash coder. Head on over there to get a free personal account for up to 100 devices. And it's a great way to support the show while you're checking out Tailscale, a simple secure network that's a mesh VPN that you can get up and running in minutes. Yeah, it's built on WireGuard, and devices connect directly to each other using WireGuard's noise protocol encryption, building you a mesh network with the best VPN security in the business. And TailScale is perfect for software developers who need to set up some ad hoc networking and don't have the time, the energy, or really even perhaps, I'm not going to suggest it, but perhaps maybe some of you, the skill set to deal with all the firewalls and the networking and the subnetting. Even if you did have the skill, why even bother with it in 2023? TailScale takes care of all of that. It's a simple, secure VPN that you get set up in a couple of minutes, and then you connect to all your devices over a flat network. And then they layer in some great, great stuff. I've been hearing from a lot of you out there that you're loving the new integration with Molvad for exit points on Tailscale. That sounds so fantastic. I love Tailscale Send. I got a file on this machine here at the studio. I want to put it on my machine at home. Doesn't matter what OS. Doesn't matter where they are on the internet. It just Tailscale Send. is like airdrop for all your devices. Oh, 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 oh. And Tailscale SSH, especially when you're provisioning a new system to build a login over SSH. Using your tail scale credentials is fantastic for deploying things via script and automation or up on a cloud provider. It's so powerful for individuals. And then for enterprises, it'll plug in with your existing authentication infrastructure and you don't have to deal with like the old crappy proprietary VPN boxes and like the really crazy software with the subscription cost for support. I've been there. I've had to deal with some of the most proprietary of the proprietary. Seriously. Seriously. I had to deal with one where to get proper encryption, you had to buy like this $10,000 PCI card that they put in the sunbox So that way your VPN could have proper encryption. <laughs> but hey, you know, it had to be FDIC approved. Tailscale just blows all that out of the water, makes it so simple and so quick to get started. And you can try it for free for up to 100 devices while you're supporting the show at tailscale.com slash coder. That's tailscale.com slash coder. I thought we should have this one in the log. Dropbox is uh, preening about their 90-10 rule for remote work. CEO Drew Houston told Fortune that his company is using a 90-10 rule for remote work. That means 90% of the year is spent remote and the remaining 10% is dedicated to employee offsite events. He says, quote, if you trust people and treat them like adults, they'll behave like adults. Trust over surveillance. Um, now, that this came out in an interview published on Sunday. Now, this is after they've done some layoffs. They used to have 3,000 employees. Uh, they're down a bit. They announced uh, they were going virtual first in 2020 during the pandemic. The transition hasn't been super great. Some employees shared some hot goss with Fortune and said, quote, Obviously, the company wants to spin it really positively, a former employee who left in 2021 20, said. Um, and he said, but there are fewer options for people who actually liked going into the office when they went once they went virtual first. Dropbox responded by saying since the transition to becoming a virtual first company, staff retention is at an all time high of 70 percent and recently hired employees cite virtual first as the main reason they applied for a job at Dropbox.
1: Haven't we been doing this for years? Isn't this like what you this is what we do, right? They're figuring it out. They're figuring it out. They're figuring it out. Like, we literally do this. Like, you have things in the Pacific North, Northwest. I fly people. Everybody's
0: coming in this week, you know? It's, like, going to be a big old thing, yeah.
1: I fly folks down to Florida, and we do, like, Disney or whatever. It's, this is, yeah. How come we didn't get in business? And, I mean, come on. let's. I know, I know. But the, the the takeaway I got from this and the signal
0: that I think is strong and is going to lead is that those new hires... They went there because they were remote, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it was like when I was chatting with Matt about sponsoring the show for Alderaan Games, one of my first questions are, are these remote jobs? They're all remote. Yeah, they're all remote because it's, just a, it's available to a lot more people. It's, yeah, it's very fascinating. I'm glad to see it, though, you know.
1: You know, I, I, I forgot who it was. I should have put it in the notes, but I was half asleep and I didn't do it. Uh, it was one of these CEOs about the importance of going back to the office and I almost sent you a Slack message at like two in the morning because I was reading this thing. And it was basically I read it. I'm like, you just want to be like Napoleon looking down upon your subjects. Yeah. And it really, like it all came down. It was like, you know, the magic. the connect- Honestly, it sounded like Adam Newman's bull****, right? The connection. Yeah, magic.
0: that's the kind of thing the person says that gets treated great by everybody. And, yeah. you know, when, when you're in that room, you're the king when you're the CEO. Right. But that's not how... The, that's not the experience for all the other employees. Well, also,
1: when you're the CEO of a very successful funded VC company, you can afford things like nannies and daycare, and you know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I, I got to tell you, I, I, okay, I will have to do an episode maybe next week on on our remote setups because I think I finally got it.
0: Oh, I like that idea. Okay.
1: Yeah the the under the table treadmill, big addition, big addition, and I don't know that barring like you know, I'm a corrupt crypto gambler levels of money here that I could ever go back. Right, with, right. Even if I was the boss, right? Even if I was the Napoleon, again, I, I don't. It's also like, I hate paying office leases. Mm. There's so much waste. I don't know if, how many of our folks here have actually had to like negotiate with the uh, commercial landlords, but they're <laughs> they're not fun you have to understand they're kind of in a bad business, but their leases are basically something that hasn't a contract that hasn't been seen since Mephistopheles gave Dr. Faust the contract. It's crazy. And I'm getting out of my last one this month and the office has been vacant for two years.
0: Hey, yeah. Good for you. Get out of there.
1: Just waste. Right. Like there's some servers there, but I shut down the fiber optics. I, I am out because it is not worth it. Um, Managing a team—I mean, I can't even imagine trying to like hire up in today's age and say, "Oh, and you have to drive to Plant City or to Ybor City or Tampa, you know, every day."
0: Spend an hour in traffic,
1: right? Oh, and if if God forbid there's a Bucks game, right? You're screwed. Good luck getting. It's just like no, yeah,
0: or construction, or an accident. Or let's
1: be honest, it's Florida. If the Gators rebel, which they do from time to time. (laughs) I want to put a request out to
0: our audience in the EU because this is a story I don't really have any knowledge on. And I, it's all I hear is really negative stuff about it. But there is this talk of a chat control 2.0, and it feels like this would gravely impact open source and developers. Just, again, what I can put together. On May 11th of 2022, the European Commission presented a proposal which would make the chat control searching mandatory for all email and messenger providers even end-to-end encrypted. Now there was a system 1.0 that was in place that was kind of voluntary. And some of the big providers like Snapchat, Skype, iCloud, Gmail, Facebook, they 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 participated. But you know, Telegram and some of the more secure stuff they didn't. And this would now be mandatory. And after it goes into effect, the commission expects a 3.5 fold increase in reports, like 354% increase in scanning reports. And providers outside the EU but that have users in the EU would also be obligated to implement the regulation. This is where I think it could massively impact open source. Even chat in games is in here. If your dating site has chat, Uh, if you're using Jitsi Meet and it has chat, or Zoom and it has chat, Google Meet, that all is in here. Game chats, email, all kinds of chats. Um, And then services that are, quote, likely to be used for illegal material or child grooming are obligated to proactively search content and communications and store data uh, and records. And it's all kind of in the guise, from what I can tell, is protect the children. This, to me, it's it sounds like a political mess, but what I'm really struggling to grasp is how developers would actually implement this and comply with this and how free software could even possibly implement this. I, I just can't put it together.
1: Bring me Valerie.
0: Yeah, Valerie – oh, you mean uh, Victoria? Victorian Oh, probably. yeah. I have my spies <laughs> confused. I'm
1: driving off laughing. This is what I'll say. <laughs>
0: Shout out there to the No Agenda show. That's a that's a classic remix no, right there. No yeah, this is, this is really kind of – Wildly me,
1: impractical.
0: Wildly creepy. Right. But I, I also got to acknowledge that I'm not there. I'm not hearing all sides of this discussion. So I'm kind of putting it out to the audience to maybe help break it down for us because it sounds like a nightmare – both obviously from a free speech and political censorship standpoint and thought thought censorship but also i mean just from the practical like how are developers of the simplex chat app
1: going to do this I, I don't even know how you would implement this i mean this itself could be its whole enterprise which probably there will be vendors that pop up to do this right for you but there's a lot here i mean again we're i, I think you and i are pretty much freedom penguins when it comes to Really anything the EU tries to do, to be honest with you, <laughs> it's in my case. I'm just not a big fan of top-down development. Let's just put it that way. You know what? Me and Benny used to be friends, and then that bastard betrayed my Georgie boy for Great Britain, and I'm still pissed. And I realize Great Britain also pieced out from the EU, so my joke doesn't work. But god damn it, I'm so <laughs> close.
0: Yeah, uh, well, I, I still take uh, it. I'll uh, take, we'll it.
1: take it. It counts. It, they're EU-adjacent. Yeah, this is dumb. I mean, you know what you know what the GDRP did? It made every website more annoying to use.
0: I hate the cookie pop-up so much.
1: I hate it so much. I'm like, why, why, why? And first of all, nobody reads it. No. You just blast through it. Or you try to find an extension that kills, that kills it. kills it, yeah. This is dumb. I mean, you know, you and I had a private discussion, and you're starting to convince me more and more that uh, some of the speech regulation and the monitoring is getting wild. It's getting out of hand. And this this seems like if this were to pass into law is so tough to implement, even if you like honestly believe it and no going
0: back too, like,
1: right. It's like everybody is going to be guilty. So it's whenever they want to screw with you. I also can just a a lot of tangents. It's also backdoor by by
0: regulation. You're you're almost regulating insecurity into these applications like they're going to have
1: to fundamentally alter the security model. This is a hacker's wet dream right this is this is great like if you're if you're over if you we haven't talked about what is it uh cutie bear in a while if you know you're you're over in good old st petersburg ready to do your thing this is for you uh did you did you happen to listen to the last pivot with uh no, I meant to, though. I probably will later this week. It it was it was pretty good.
0: I know. I, when you say listen, I, I don't generally listen, but I'm like, all right, I'll tune in, you know, because I kind of have to hate listening a little uh, bit.
1: Well, I know you hate it more than I do. There was one segment that my little Freedom Penguin ears, uh, and I mean Penguin is in, we're going to get Batman, not Linux, perked right up. The praise that Galloway and Kara Swisher give to TikTok for censoring just all kinds of stuff and i get like obviously no one wants people to like you know i don't want teenage girls to be convinced to starve themselves or like you know young men to kill themselves either with them on that but the problem is that's that's the argument that you know i think you've correctly over the years pointed out the save the children argument it it really is a slippery slope and TikTok in particular is a problem right? Because, you know, good old Chinese spies are there for sure. I I, I just, I don't know. I guess if I had to have a devil, I would rather the devil of, yes, my crazy uncle gets to read about QAnon all day long and tell me why vaccines are bad and that I'm nuts and blah, 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 and I'm a government shill, rather than have like these draconian speech regulations.
0: What has it done, Mike? Like, here we are. I'd say since the election, the the entire tech sphere and media landscape has been very serious about misinformation and trying to control the right narratives. There's been the X kind of wild card. But even over there, they're actually – Elon doesn't brag about this. They're censoring and labeling. They're
1: censoring the shit out of stuff now. Yeah.
0: More than ever. More than ever. Now, uh, I would point out too that when you study history or just like read Freakonomics and you look at the incentives of how things actually play out – and just look at the last two, three years, Has have the conspiracy theories gotten better? H- have we seen less conflict in the world? Is, is information all of a sudden pure and better and people are trusting the media and trusting institutions more? Even though there has been a constant, nonstop conversation about safety features and about misinformation and about how to properly handle this and about brand safety, that has been a drum beep since the election. And yet- it doesn't seem like a damn bit of difference has been made, does it?
1: Well, I think I think you definitely felt it off of me, right? Feeling anxiety about being a little careful about certain things we might say or do because of the very obvious extra legal consequences that could happen to our, you know, biz- our project together and our respective businesses. That's just just the chilling effect. Maybe I'm being too much of a freedom. No, it is. Yeah, no, there is a chilling effect. Um, and I that's the
0: incentives get really screwed up. I think it backfires ultimately. I think it. I think what it does is it's sort of, I hate this argument, but if you make encryption illegal, only the criminals will
1: use well, encryption. Well, it's, it's, it's not even just the encryption though, right? It's like if, if stupid Uncle Jimbo wants to post stupid things on Facebook, I mean, you have the, or you used to have the right to be an asshole, right? I can tell you back in my tra- traveling salesman days, do you know how many morons I met at airport bars that would tell me crazy? And you know what? You hang out, you be cordial, you have a beer, you laugh at them. You, they laugh at you because they think you're nuts too, right? And everybody just shakes hands. all good luck on your flight, safe travels. Now it's like you can't say that you're a bad person in Canada. They're making it a criminal, a criminally punishable offense to say uh, certain things that offend people. I, I and the UK has a similar law. I don't, I don't get it, man. I mean, I do. I, you, you know, it feels like funny enough. It
0: almost feels like. Religious Puritan values. I'm not saying they are, but it feels like exactly. Yeah. It's like the, the left, which pushed back against Puritan values, defining relationships and social norms and legal norms. That was that was a massive fight of the progressive side. It feels like now what we're getting
1: pushed upon us is a new kind of. Uh, version of that, but just by the other side now. Well, it's just a different religion, right? It's just, I mean, I went to Catholic school, right? You you know, if you said, Jesus, you know, oh, Lord, say, you know, the nuns would be pissed. And now it's, oh, you can say that, you can curse, you can be vulgar, you can be sexually explicit, um, do things and say things and post things that, you know, literal pornography on Twitter. right? <laughs> you know what handles this in an interesting way, and I,
0: I don't know how you scale it, but I kind of feel like if if you get offended or you're you don't want types of in, information the onus might be on you to be an adult to take the proactive action and I, Noster Noster is like a fire hose and then all the filtering is done client side and kind of like Pi-hole you can you can subscribe to lists if you want or sort of the same thing in Mastodon you could you can um you know build up a database and just like turn tune out certain stuff but by default all of that filtering is client-side. It's done by the client. You can sync that across clients if you need to, etc. But the information is there, and then the individual chooses what they tune in or tune out and, or who they follow and don't follow. And to me, that feels like the better system is because if the platform is always the one making the decisions, what information is valid, what you can't see, what gets removed, what gets censored, if the platform is always making that decision, then they are a media company. And they are a publishing company. They're an editor. They have editorial control, right? It's editorial. But if the end user is making the choice, and it's just a fire hose of information like the web is, then their editorial role has been removed. And not only do they avoid a bunch of legal problems, but the onus is put on the user. And you, you would obviously, obviously, you would see technology develop that would make this much more approachable. So you could have child-friendly versions of these apps that are pre-tuned and ready to go. Like this, obviously, would be a solved problem. And putting the onus on the centralized platforms, ultimately is just putting an arbitrage around their neck that is
1: going to sink them. And it's people will move on eventually. People will move on. And there's also a difference between like I'm just going to pick on Uncle Jimbo because it's a fake person I made up. Uh, you know, spouting nonsense or what I believe to be nonsense on Twitter or Facebook. You know, there's a difference between that and then Uncle Jimbo, like, direct messaging me and, you know, ad hominem attacks, right? Just, like, disrespect, whatever. I, I'm totally down with the people who say if someone's harassing you, block them. I'm like, yes, you should have those tools. Use them. You know, I've done it very few times over the last, whatever, 13 years we've been doing the show. But there's a couple of people yeah, I, block, have, mute, I have. whatever. Right. It's nice. Like, one guy was like, oh, you're a kid, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, you don't know, off, right? But I don't, I would, like, would you walk into you know, a coffee shop or a bar and be like, oh, you're talking about a political party or candidate that I don't approve of. So now I'm going to shout you down and create a scene. You don't really have the same tooling. I mean,
0: some people, but they're they're more fringe, but you just you don't have the tooling, right? You can you can
1: spawn a mob online. Or am I going to make the barkeep cut you off and throw you out? Because that's effectively what they're trying to do. right? You know, uh, a friend of the show, Somebody
0: emailed a place where their community was about to hold a meetup and said, hey, just so you know, this meetup follows this podcast and uh, they're X, Y, Z and you don't want them in your establishment. So it does happen. It's a you know, it's funny. Again, I'm going to make one more reference, but I think Nostra's actually solved another problem See, with Twitter monetizing or X weapon X monetizing user content. The incentives at play there incentivize the users to produce things that the platform approves of. So that way they continue to get paid mm. because the platform is paying them. The, the person publishing will over time alter what they publish to get rewarded from the platform because it's a, there's a monetary incentive there. Yeah. That is going to, A, create certain narratives and disincentivize other narratives. And B, go, it's going to be the YouTube effect. And we've seen what happens with the same exact system on YouTube what nostr does differently and it's what i think is great about boost with podcasts is nostr has zaps which are essentially boosts mm. and so it's users boosting other users for content and so it's not the platform rewarding it it's users rewarding other users directly and that i think is a very high signal indication of actual good content and again it doesn't it means nostr can just be a protocol it's not a platform it's not a service it's not an editorial media company it's just a protocol and then the client side and the users are
1: doing that aspect of it which i think is a much better incentive structure it's it's a freedom of choice issue right it's uh i know we're on a tangent here but just one one last real world story and it's about business so mm. years ago i had a company come to me they wanted us they couldn't get on the app store because they were an adult entertainment company and they had a, a homosexual brand and a and a straight brand i said no to both not because i'm anti gay or anti sex in general Because it's just not something I want to do. I don't want to be in that business, right? I don't, you know, I don't judge how other people make their living. That's fine. But I didn't say anything. I didn't give the guy a hard time. It was actually a guy and a lady, which was interesting, a married couple who ran a fairly successful digital porn empire, which, wow. You know what? I just had the, I don't want to be involved in it. I had the right to say no. And that's what it should be like. People make personal decisions. Now, I was stupid to say no, because the amount of money they were offering was significant, but I just, you know, I was doing a lot of work with like a, a school for special kids and uh, like autistic, stuff like that. And I was doing military contracting at the time, and I just didn't think, I didn't think it would jive super well, but I just didn't want to do it. So, yeah. but I didn't go on a rampage about. Doesn't have to become a thing. It's not a, it's not. Right, a, it doesn't have to be a like an ad hominem thing. Mm-hmm, you know, so. mm-hmm.
0: That's the same with the sponsors that we pass on, honestly. It's like... Right, we could decline any sponsor we want. We do, and we don't go on and, like, shame them or something like that. Yeah. All right, Um. right. First, I want to thank our Coder QA Q- crew out there. Q? The Qs of the Coder QA crew. Um. Thank you very much for supporting the show directly, giving us that monthly foundation over at CoderQA.co. As a thank you, we're giving you that ad-free version of the show and the Coderly Report. CoderQA.co or support all the shows at jupiter.party and... It is indeed time for the boost. Four score and seven boosts to go. And uh, Adversary17 comes in with a big old baller boost this week. A big one, 512,000 sats. Hey, rich lifestyle. Coming in on Podverse, he, says, uh, he sent me a longer email to kind of expand on this. He says, I think maybe two years ago now, another audience member asked, because they both listened to Coder, what's a good way to get started with coding? And then Mike talked about, you know, getting into the snake and JavaScript or TypeScript. And then towards the end of the conversation, he had an offhand remark. He said, well, there's always .NET. And, well, that stuck with me. So I went down the rabbit hole of learning C Sharp on top of .NET. I've fallen in love with coding again, and I want to thank you both for the pointers that I get from the show and inspiring people to try things. And he's also now working on version two of a program that's like a, asynchronous ping dns lookup and trace route all in one app and they're uh, hacking away at it right now and he wanted to pass along the value so thank you very much adversaries for passing along the value that you got from the show we really appreciate you boosting in
1: inadvertently creating .NET developers one day at a time <laughs> isn't that funny a throwaway comment like that mike <laughs> yeah, I, I notice we don't get any Objective C people writing in ever. Uh, that's boy, yeah. You'd think there'd be
0: thousands of those by no, now. I, I think they've seen
1: what just mental damage Objective C has done to me over the years. That they're
0: the warning. Yeah. This, the, <laughs> okay, CGB boosts in with ninety thousand sats. No message though. I hoard that which your kind covers. But we do appreciate the support. And then John A also came in with fifty thousand sets. Hello again, John A. Thank you. He says, "I want to say." You guys do a better job presenting the politically polarizing stories and topics in an objective way than any other podcast I listen to, including the News
1: Focus podcast. It is appreciated. Well, Johnny, the answer for that is because he has great hair and I'm usually loaded. So,
0: Torped <laughs> comes in with a big old row of Mick ducks.
1: Things that are looking up for old McDuck.
0: Using Podverse, he says, I think there's a lot of 3D animators in today's movie credits. Just wait until the AI devs get in there. That's true. There's gonna, Ooh, that's spicy. There's going to be an AI section of the credits. They're going to have to play the music a little bit longer.
1: Do you think we'll have like like the AI Edison and Tesla where they kind of hate each other? Like the two bots are just like. Well, now I, uh, now I, ho- I hope so. I'd watch that. I don't know. I've seen enough Battlestar Galactica. That's not great.
0: You know, an AI could essentially create vlog content 24-7. Wait,
1: could an AI, think about this, an AI could make propaganda and fake news about the other AI and back and forth. Oh, my. We could have AI elections. I hope so. I'm pretty sure we already do. I mean, let's be honest. They're probably going to do a better
0: job than the guys we got. You don't like
1: picking between two 80 year olds who smell like Bengay (laughs) and one who miraculously only eats fast food and Diet Coke and somehow is still alive. That's not fair. You know, it's just not fair. I don't I don't like that at all. Do you know how much I like chicken nuggets? And every time I eat them, it's like I got poisoned by King Montezuma striking back at me. My shame
0: is I think I kind of like Diet Coke. Ooh, that's that's I know. I know. I know I I don't drink it often, but like I got a little bit in the studio because people are here, and I'm gonna say I drink I've already drank in a few. It's not good. Domenica USA comes in with three thousand sats using Fountain. Just says fabulous job as usual. Thank you for the boost. Uh, also thank you Torp for the boost up there. I uh, really do appreciate that. And Mister Borkander,
1: <laughs> okay,
0: <laughs> comes in with five thousand sats.
1: Curious, mm, curious sir.
0: Says thanks for the great show. I'm loving the uh, appreciation and the value, guys. We really. Really do appreciate that. Thank you. Marchie comes in with 10,000 sets, And on the point of reducing carbon, because remember, I was like, why is Apple saying they're going to remove all carbon? Any bit? He says they're really kind of referring to methane CH4, which contains carbon. He says, we all made a carbon in a sense, but mainly in the sense that we're composed of many hydrocarbons, molecules, and methane, and no one wants to ban carbon itself, though it sounds like it sometimes. I don't disagree about the virtue signaling, but... Uh, uh, I got fairly loose up on that soapbox there for a while. Oh, (laughs) it's a little slopey up there. Um, I, You know what? I was really giving Apple a hard time is – and it's – I've actually since that. The feedback has kind of helped me just accept it. I hate it when the companies say carbon and they only talk about carbon. And it's also like I just wish they would focus on other things. Not that maybe reducing carbon would be a good thing. But what about like, wouldn't it be incredible if some of Apple's billions went into investing in better transfer capability in the United States? So once we got better power generation online, we could actually move. Because, you know, we could go build a few nuke plants, but we don't have a way to transport that electricity. We have more stranded power than we know what to do with right now in the United States. So it's just like investing in some transmission lines or some, you know, renewable energy or something like that. But instead, it's like these initiatives to remove carbon. Hell, how about an initiative just to remove methane from the air? Just, like, focus on something else that matters. Or we could just build more pylons. Yeah. Rotten Mood comes in with 12,304, five sats. So that's one, two, three, four, five. A space ball boost. So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. <laughs> I got a new version of that one coming up. He says, coffee, don't get me started. We have an AeroPress that's been going strong for over 10 years now. He says you could look up look for the upside down brew method, by the way. A Mocha pot for it with espresso and a Moco Master for pour over style coffee. The Moco Master is a bit pricey, but well worth it. No hot plate. So no electric no electricity use. Past the brew cycle, of course. And then and they believe in the right to repair, so you can even get parts to fix it if it breaks. So maybe it is worth the investment. And the coffee has to be black.
1: No oh, other way. Oh yes. Oh, oh yes. Oh. oh, yes. oh. Really?
0: <clears throat>
1: oh, hmm. Chris, don't tell me you. Don't tell me you. Hmm.
0: No, no, I, I, I'm not drinking coffee currently, but I hadn't thought about this. I hadn't really given – I haven't given this adequate consternation, I
1: feel like. Oh, You're you're not a creamer uh, guy, are you?
0: No, I used to be a butter coffee guy.
1: Oh, dude. I know. I know. Man, you, here's
0: the thing, though. You can't deny the results because you get, you get a little fat and protein with your coffee, and it – just, it smooths out the energy and the jitters. It's such a nice, and you're not, it's just so perfect. The co- so I actually did. I, but you're right. I think I'd have to go black now. Um, Jeff tried some of our El Salvador coffee we have here,
1: and he says it's really good and really strong. You know, Chris, if you go black, what's going to happen, right?
0: I'm never going to go back to Red Bull. Exactly. Yeah. Eric comes in with a row of ducks. He's using the podcast index. He says, Mike, how have you liked Codium? Uh, Bad publicity is still publicity, and I ended up trying it, and I'm liking it. I am now using the self-hosted enterprise version.
1: Okay, so I did not like Codium. It's not terrible, but it it definitely feels quite a few paces behind CodePilot to me. Having said that, I'm using CodePilot in a different way than I think I normally would have. I'm using it for a lot of like, I forgot the syntax for this or whatever. It's great for that. Crazy unreal programming, C, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't care for it. I definitely see the value though in the self hosted aspect of it. So that is something and it's early days. I'm probably gonna give it like six months and try a codium again. Mm, that's a good idea. But my initial my initial uh adventure was not it not something that could dislodge Code Pilot for me.
0: Nacho Linux comes in with 5,000 sets using Fountain. He says, whoa. All the infra costing Microsoft $20 a user. My giant ad marketing employer is currently doing a trial for both MS Copilot. That's about 90% of the company. Nice. And Google Duet AI for about 150 users. Both must be spending in similar infra because it's $30 a license and that's pretty steep. Keep up the great work and the positive vibes from Downey, California. Hello, Downey,
1: California. And thank you, Nacho Linux. This might not be true though, right? The $20 thing they came out and said. Yeah, we don't know what
0: it is, but it's It might be closer to cost. It might be closer.
1: Yeah, it might not be as bad, but I feel like they're, yeah. You know, this is one of those things where one of them is going to start lowering their prices to try to steal from the other, right?
0: I guess I'm actually impressed and somewhat surprised, somewhat, that we are seeing the level of enterprise adoption with these tools we are. I mean, we do actually keep hearing from listeners and other folks that are actually at companies that are actually deploying these. Like, it's not super often that large companies or this he says it's you know it's a giant ad marketing employer it's not often that these large companies jump on a new tool like this and i i have to suspect it's in part because they're baking it into you know their other workspace product line or you know they already have a there's already an advertising channel to get into these companies and they're just must be just their their business sales must just be ramming these channels with (laughs) with these plans because they're actually selling them i i you know, it's like you, they could have created this stuff and nobody would have paid for it for five years. I mean, the, the economy sucks.
1: And they're paying 30 bucks a person. Yeah. Are they, though? We'll I mean, they're on a 90-day trial. We'll see what happens. You know what? In 90 days, right in. Let's see what happens. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. You that's true. Uh, no go-go or
0: no, uh, no go go <laughs> That's not it. Comes in with 8,024 sets and says, greetings from the great white north. Hey. Hey, good day.
1: Oh, Canada. Sorry. It's a boot time. You bo- you boosted in. Thank you. Send me Tim Hortons.
0: Yeah, yeah. some swag or something. Or maybe, like, I don't know. Can I, can I brew it? Faraday Fedora comes in with a thousand sats. He says, I'm sorry I haven't been boosting, guys. Keep up the great content. Ah, oh, Dakashin. It's great to hear from you, Faraday. I'm glad you're out there and you're doing all right. And It's always nice to know you're listening, too. That's for sure. Now, how about this? Especially thanks to Mr. Adver- Adversaries up there, we stacked... 720,813 sats this week. Woo! That is a... Win! We're whipping ass. Really nailed it. It's
1: the llama's ass.
0: 12 boosters, too. That was a, That's a great return for 12 boosters. Thank you, everybody who supports this episode with a boost. If you would like to boost in your message, give us your thoughts on anything we've talked about today, especially if you're across the pond and you have insights in the whole chat control stuff, please do. You can get a podcast app at podcastapps.com. Fountain is very close to their 1.0, and if you have any ideas for features, you can boost those into the show as well. They'll be watching the boost for the next couple of weeks. Pod versus Developer just went full-time. Huge leap, and so we're seeing massive development over there. A brand-new podcast app called Podfans is in in development that's a progressive web app that is loaded with features. We are seeing a ton of development, podcastapps.com. If you still want to keep your old app, you can. You can boost from the web. Just get Albie, getalbie.com. You top it off either in the app or something on the Lightning Network. And then you can boost from the podcast index. We'll have a link in the show notes. You can actually boost from Fountain.fm's website as well and from Podverse's website. Lots of ways. But we'll have links in the notes for that. Thank you, everybody, who supports the production because you know what? It's all about the direct audience support. It makes the difference and it keeps you our biggest customer. And you know how that is for a biz. That's what matters. Mr. Dominic, is there any business you wanna tell people about or send links to things or go to places before we get out of here?
1: Uh go to dominicm.com if you want some new content. And I am on Weapon X at Dominuco. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we'll have a link. We gotta get that link to that new blog post in the notes as well. I'm on the Weapon X, I suppose, at ChrisLAS if you if you wanna. And you know that chat room. Coder.show slash matrix. going all week. It's going during the live show. It's go you can go in there and say hi, you know, it's not super crazy either. So you're not going to get blasted. That's at coder.show slash matrix. Link links to what you might get blasted. Well, sometimes. <laughs> links to what we talked about today. All right, coder.show slash 540. You can see what we're talking about. We got the receipts over there. Of course, you can subscribe. We got the contact form. And last but not least, I'd like you to know we also do it live. Yep, I mentioned that before. It's Mondays. Nope, it's Tuesdays. Tuesdays at noon Pacific for your p.m. Eastern. ShaveYourLife.tv. It's pretty easy. It's easy, right? Thanks for joining us. See you right back here next week.